The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Good morning. If you've joined us in the last few minutes, um, again, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Shady Grove. Really glad that you're here this morning. Uh, as we do every week, we'll be preaching from the Bible this morning. So you can go ahead and take out your Bibles or your apps, whatever it is that you use to follow along. We're in a series on 1 Corinthians, and we'll be picking up in chapter 12, where we left off a couple weeks ago. If you do not own a Bible, you can take out one of those blue paperback Bibles in the seats in front of you. Those are actually our gift to you, so you can take that one home or check out our Welcome Center after service and take one from there. We'd love for you to have uh, one of those Bibles. So we're going to continue this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll be reading beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the same spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. Father, we pray that just as your Spirit gives gifts to the church, as you so choose, We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds to understand the meaning of this text and that we would sit under it and allow it to conform and transform our lives. Pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, recently I have been pursuing some physical therapy for some ongoing knee pain that I've had for the last couple of years. And so on my first appointment with my physical therapist, Aaron, he simply watched me walk back and forth across his studio floor. And the first thing he observed is that while I was walking, uh, I was overcompensating. I had been overcompensating to my left leg for so long that my right leg and my right hip were basically unengaged while I was walking. And so the first assignment that he gave to me was that I needed to learn how to engage my right leg again while I was walking in a normal stride. And so one of the first exercises he wanted me to work on was a simple just standing on my right leg and trying to bend my right knee. So I got on my right leg and he told me to bend my knee and my body's first instinct was to bend my back. 
but keep my right leg locked instead. It actually took me two weeks to learn just how to bend my right leg again and engage my right leg. Sometime later, a couple months later, we started to work on my running. He was able to observe me while I was running, and so he was watching me while I was running, and then he told me to get off the treadmill, and again, more problems. But you see, the problems with my running had very little to do with my legs themselves and had everything to do with how I was using my upper body. His exact words were that while I had a good uh, motion with my right arm, I was kind of doing this T-Rex thing with my left arm, which was causing my lower body to rotate on my knees, putting all kinds of pressure on my knees. So he said, we need to loosen up your shoulders so that your arms move more naturally and freely. And so we go over to the TRX machine to open up my arms up wide, and all of a sudden this strange sensation because my fingertips are tingly. And I say, Aaron, why are my fingertips tingly? And he says, you've been hunching your shoulders over for so long, there's no blood flow to the members of your body. You see, what I came to find out is that while I went in for knee pain, I actually need to work on my whole body to address this symptom that was present in this one part of my body. So you understand a little bit of the metaphor now that the Apostle Paul is working with in 1 Corinthians 12 and in other places in Scripture when he says that we are all members of one body together and that the body is healthy when each member of the body is functioning as it is supposed to. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in our text this morning. And so three sort of overarching points I want us to see this morning. First, the purpose of spiritual gifts in the body. Second, how we find our place in the body. And third, how we grow the body together. So first, the purpose of spiritual gifts in the body. A couple weeks ago when Charlie began uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we started this new section that really runs from the beginning of chapter 12 all the way up to the end of chapter 14 on this subject of spiritual gifts and worship. And while some of you may have questions about when we're going to be getting into particular matters of certain gifts like tongues or prophecy or healing, uh, I won't be getting into that this morning. We will get into it more in the weeks ahead. But if you like really just can't wait to get into it yourself and what this text has to say about that, uh, Charlie and I do want to commend two books to you. He might have more recommendations for you next week. Uh, But here's two books that you can read if you really want to get into it this week. Uh, The first book is Spiritual Gifts by uh, Dr. Tom Schreiner. And the second book is Perspectives on Pentecost by Dr. Richard Gaffin. I'll have both up here behind the pulpit if you want to take a look after service. And that'll help you out uh, understanding a little more what the scriptures say about some of these gifts. But the emphasis of our passage this morning really isn't on uh, particular gifts themselves, but really more application. How are the gifts as a whole to operate in the body? And so the first thing I want to do this morning is take a little bit of a step back and kind of get a high view of what do the scriptures say about the purpose of spiritual gifts in the body. We understand that they're given to the body, but what is the purpose for the spiritual gifts in the body? So real quick, three things. I'm going to be looking at the first part of our passage this morning, as well as a couple other texts that we read uh, in our service that are in your bulletin. So the first thing that we can say about spiritual gifts is that they're given to promote unity in the body. Spiritual gifts are given to promote unity in the body. And we see this in verses 12 to 14 of our text this morning. You see how the Apostle Paul draws this connection between individual members of a body being part of a whole. Just as our body parts are connected as one body, so too are Christians made one in Christ. 
The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives connects us and binds us to one another across the common sort of barriers that we face in this world, such as ethnicity or culture or gender or class or vocation. This is an outworking of a doctrine that we call union with Christ. When we trust Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, at that moment, the Holy Spirit baptizes us, which means he unites us to Christ and to one another. This is an objective reality for those who are in Christ. We have been made to drink of the one spirit together. We now belong to one another through Jesus Christ. And so when the gifts are used rightly in the body, the oneness of the body is strengthened. The unity of the body is strengthened. It's the first purpose that we see. The second purpose is that spiritual gifts are given for the glory of God. This is 1 Peter chapter 4 that we read in service. When members of the church serve each other in humble reliance on the gifts that have been given to them, Peter says that God is praised and honored and glorified for the work that he is doing in his church. And so as the gifts are used rightly in the body, we begin to see how the spotlight is kind of taken off of ourselves and it's put on God alone who is to be worshiped and glorified. Spiritual gifts are given for the glory of God. And the third use that we see in Scripture is that spiritual gifts are given for us to grow in maturity, for us to become more like Christ. One of the repeated themes that we saw in all these texts that we read this morning is that Christians need each other. When Christians are equipped to use their spiritual gifts for the good of the body, every part grows together. And this is really the most practical application of these texts on spiritual gifts in the Scriptures. Your sermon title this morning, Everything Grows Together. Anybody know where that comes from? It's a classic Mr. Rogers song. And it goes something like this, everything grows together, the repeated refrain, because you're all one piece. And he's talking about the body. And so as your ears grow and your nose grows, you're all all one piece, right? And so everything goes together, right? And that's, that's the point is that the body, as it is united together, everybody grows together. And you see this especially looking at the end of Ephesians chapter 4, where it talks about how when everybody is equipped to do a good work, the body grows as, as it is supposed to. So the spiritual gifts are given for us to have unity in the church, for the glory of God, and for us to grow in maturity. These are just a few of the purposes we could see in Scripture, but some of the big ones for why gifts are given to the church. And I think now with this foundation, I think we can understand the text that's before us a little bit better. Because you remember that one of the big issues in Corinth was an abuse of spiritual gifts. And so far from promoting unity, the Apostle Paul says they were promoting division. Rather than giving God the glory, certain individuals were taking the spotlight and sort of getting all of the the credit for these supposedly miraculous displays of the Spirit. Instead of serving one another and growing in love, many people were beginning to feel like they didn't have a place in the church. I think each of us has experienced this feeling of being left out or feeling as if we don't belong. Many of us are so afraid of that experience today that we actually have an acronym for it now, FOMO, the fear of missing out. 
And what happens when this feeling begins to set in on members of a church is we start to pull away from the life of the church. And just like the muscles in my right leg, our gifts and our service begin to atrophy. These are the kinds of feelings that many people were having in Corinth. One group was being so assertive about the use of their gifts, especially tongue-speaking, that they were lording their abilities and position over other members in the church. And so their actions were causing this other group of people to start pulling away because they no longer felt like they belonged. And we see how the Apostle Paul captures this in verses 15 and 16, which you can just paraphrase as, I guess if I'm not like them, I don't belong to this body. Since they didn't feel like they belonged, they were pulling back and retreating from the work of the life of the church. And so maybe some of you feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel as if you don't have a place to belong or a use in the body. Well, I want you to see at least two uh, words of encouragement that we can draw from our passage this morning. Two ways that the Apostle Paul encouraged the people in Corinth and how we can be encouraged this morning as well. And so take these to heart. The first encouragement that we see is that how you feel about yourself isn't the truth about yourself. How you feel about yourself is not the truth about yourself. Look again at the end of verse 16. Just because you feel like you do not belong to the body, that would not make you any less a part of the body. Just because you're not like someone else who you perceive is more gifted than you, who seems to have it all together, that doesn't make you useless. Just because you're not a hand or an eye doesn't make you any less a part of the body. Whether you like it or not, we belong to one another in Jesus Christ. That's the reality. And that means that you have an important part to play in the body of Christ. You see, when we start to argue ourselves into believing that we're useless, that we have no place, that we don't belong, our arguments about ourselves are always invalid. Now, I'm not here to tell you that the way you feel. I'm not, trying, I'm not here to invalidate your feelings. But if you're feeling this way this morning, I am here to tell you that your conclusion about yourself is wrong. Every single person in the body has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's verse 7. And the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts as God intends for how the body is to be built. Which means far from being useless... Every single person has an important part to play in the body. Every person who follows Christ. So that's the first encouragement that we have this morning. And the second encouragement is that diversity in the body is essential for the body. Look at what comes next in verses 17 to 20. The body of Christ cannot function the way that God intends it to without a vast diversity of people and gifts contributing to the whole. You see what Paul says here. The whole body would be an eye. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? You understand the image. How can the whole body exist if every part is an ear? Just be a little mass of ears wriggling around on the ground. It's not a body, that's a monster. You remember our passage from last week or two weeks ago. 
Looking at verses 4 to 7, the Apostle Paul said there's a variety of gifts, a variety of service, and a variety of operations. So that means that the gifts that each person has will be varied. The needs in our context which require our service is going to be varied. And the activity and the operation of the Holy Spirit in us is going to vary. Which means every person is going to be incredibly unique and different. And that is exactly how God designed his body to be. Here's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor who resisted the Nazi party in World War II, here's how he put it. He said this, strong and weak, wise and foolish, gifted or ungifted, pious or impious, the diverse individuals in the community are cause for rejoicing in one another and serving one another. Each member of the community is given his or her particular place, but this is no longer the place in which he can most successfully assert himself, but the place where he can best perform his service. You see, we will find great joy in taking advantage of this freedom to generously compliment others for what we lack in ourselves. As the diversity of gifts in the body are grown and as they are used, God is celebrated for the good design of his body. And so let's think for a moment how we can apply these two encouragements to ourselves this morning. I think it's super important for us to think about this. We saw in all these texts that we read on spiritual gifts that we really should know what our place is in the body and how we ought to serve the body. This kind of raises an important question for us, doesn't it? How do we find our gifts? How do we find our place in the body? Well, there's a couple of really important verses. We read them this morning, but I've noticed they often get passed over in the spiritual gifts conversation. That's Romans chapter 1. It's very subtle and very easy for you to miss if you're not paying attention. But look again at our reading from the book of Romans, especially the text in chapter 1. Paul said there to the church in Rome, I long to see you so that I can impart a spiritual gift to you. Why? So that we both might be mutually encouraged in our faith. You see, when gifts are used rightly in the body, the giver and receiver of the spiritual gift benefit. So, two very simple tests for us to discover spiritual gifts. First, am I growing in faith and in love through some particular service or ministry? Am I growing through some particular faith or in faith through some particular service or ministry? And second question, Is anybody else growing from my service and ministry to them? Am I growing? Are others growing? And if you can answer yes to both those questions, then congratulations, you found a spiritual gift. And so that means that while classes and worksheets and books on spiritual gifts are going to be helpful, they're probably not going to be the primary way that we discover a spiritual gift. It's going to happen while we are serving to meet the needs that we see around us. Often, I think, when we have unmet needs in the body, it's because there's unused gifts. God has promised to supply his church for her every need. That's Philippians chapter 4. 
So we discover our gifts then not when we serve where we are most comfortable, but when we serve where there are needs in the body. We discover a gift of teaching when we're serving in the children's ministry for the first time and your assistant pastor is going long in the service again. And God equips you with a teaching and patience for the kids. Congratulations, you'll find a spiritual gift. You'll discover a gift of hospitality when you take the first step to invite someone into your home or to invite a coworker out to lunch. You'll discover a gift of helps or mercy when you embrace the awkwardness of pursuing someone else who might need your help. And when each member of the body finds its proper place, then the body is united and begins to grow together. I think the problem in verses 21 to 26 is pretty self-evident, isn't it? You have these strong and assertive members in the community who are looking down on, on those who they perceive to be weaker or lower members in the community. And so Paul reaches this pointed conclusion here. He says, those whom you perceive to be weaker are actually indispensable. Now by weaker, Paul does not mean less gifted or less capable. Paul's language here is a rebuke to those who fancy themselves so strong and who are exerting themselves over those who they regard as weak. You remember that several times in this letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul has associated weakness with the cross of Christ. So this is a rebuke to the strong members in the community who are out of step with the gospel of grace. Given what Paul says here, I think this passage, at the very least, at the very least, ought to call attention to our speech and how we use our words. Ungracious speech in the body makes people feel unneeded. It dominates, it disrupts, it creates discord and dissension, it belittles, and it makes people feel like they have no place in the body. Gracious speech, on the other hand, makes room for others. It makes them feel needed and wanted. It listens before speaking. It creates peace. It encourages. And it makes people feel like they belong. It's no secret that my wife, Neva, and I have been stuck on a bit of a Mr. Rogers kick recently. You may have seen the pictures of Felix dressed up as Mr. Rogers for Halloween. Uh, This happened when we watched the Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary that came out last year. Excellent film. I highly encourage everyone to, to watch this film, this documentary. And we were so struck by his example of faith in action. Here you have this man who was an ordained Presbyterian minister his whole life, by the way, so we're basically the same person. Um, he truly believed in his God-given, the God-given value of each and every person. He recognized how special it is to feel valued and as if you're part of a family because it's one of the most basic needs that we have as human beings. Every single person comes into this world looking for someone who is looking for us. Everybody wants to belong. So I love what he said here, the quotes in your bulletin. He said, there's something unique about being a member of a family that really needs you in order to function well. 
Author James K.A. Smith, theologian, he made this great observation when he said, when you're young, you think being hard and brash and strong is courageous. But when you're old, you realize the strength that it takes to be Mr. Rogers. This sounds great, doesn't it? Even inspirational. Yeah, I want to be someone who makes others feel like they belong. I want to make people feel valued. But then why is it so hard for us to do? Why is it so hard for us to really give ourselves to one another in love? I recently finished this book by Alain de Bouton. He's a uh, British philosopher and author, and the book was titled Religion for Atheists. And at one point, he tried to draw this illustration of why he says society is so flawed. And he used the illustration of the marriage relationship. And he says that marriages often start out great when we're caught up in our emotion, surrounded by gifts and family members and celebrations. But then, he says, we soon realize that we are weak-willed creatures. Our emotions and our sincerity begin to fade and we become surprised by how thoughtless and rude we can be to those whom we love. His point, it doesn't matter how good our intentions are or our desires or our sincerity, they aren't enough to actually make us act to become better people, to be the kind of people who make others really feel loved and like they belong. Well, Bhutan's solution is that we simply need better role models in our society. But I think most of us know that that's not exactly the fix that we need. The Bible tells us that we much, must go much deeper than that. It was Dr. King who said that something had to touch our hearts and our souls if we are really and truly going to come together. See, the Bible says that our great problem isn't a lack of role models, but that we have hearts of stone filled with sin and greed and selfishness, envy and pride. We need a new heart that is filled with love and with joy and with peace. And this is exactly what Jesus promises to us. There's this great story in the gospel, some of you remember, about when uh, the disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, right? And essentially, who's going to be the most gifted? Who's going to get the most credit? Who's going to be remembered as being the greatest among us? You remember what Jesus said to them? It was this great description of the difference between how the world operates and how the kingdom of God operates. Jesus said to them, the kings and rulers of this world lord themselves over others. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. Who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's just reclining at the table? but I am among you as the one who serves. We read this morning in Colossians 1 about this Jesus who is creator and ruler over all things. And yet when he came into this world, he did not use his power and his authority to lord it over others, but he became a lowly servant. And we see the height of his love at its greatest when he postured himself the lowest 
dying in our place for our sin so that we might find new life. You see, the ordinary ways of this world, the way up is up. Assert yourself. Acquire more for yourself. Get the attention and the recognition. You deserve it. And we think this is what it means to be strong and courageous. But then we put our faith in Christ. We begin to follow Him. We start to see how much strength it really takes to be like Jesus. In God's design, the way up is down. You see, because the greatest gift that Jesus gives to His people is the gift of a new heart that enables us to get over ourselves so we can put others first and become more like Him. And you'll know when you have this gift because you'll see yourself getting smaller, God getting bigger, and the needs of others becoming more important to you than your own. So let's pray for that gift this morning that our body might grow together in love. Let's pray together. Father, you have given these gifts of your Spirit to your church that we might have unity, that you might be glorified, and that we might become more like Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us the gift of a new heart this morning and that your Spirit would then enable us and equip us to love you and to love others and that we might stand back amazed to see how you're growing our body in love and in Christ's likeness. We thank you, Lord. We pray this now in his name. Amen.